Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast, a collection of conversations with cool people who do cool things. Brought to you by Papercraft Miracles. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring stories of persistence, passion, and purpose. With your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I am your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore, and today my guest is Matt Hogan. This guy is super, super interesting. You know I love to talk to interesting people, but he has a really impressive and interesting and wild life story that is full of struggle, but also inspiration. And I'm very excited to have this intentional conversation with him today. So welcome to the show, Matt. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about you and where you come from? Hi, Jonna. (laughs) I appreciate being here today. You know, I think to put it simply, I'm a man that spent the past two decades after attempting to take my own life with a bullet Uh, And riding from the lows of depression, I've spent the last two decades finding what it is within myself, my own inner guidance, my own inner wisdom that allows me to live a life that when I get to the end of my life, there are no regrets. And I take my final breath and say, I lived the way that was right for me. I love it. I love it. I was curious if you would tell people a little bit more about your experience trying to take your own life. Cause I think that there's a lot of people out there who struggle with depression. There's a lot of people out there who have attempted to take their own lives or who have been close to someone who did. And I think it is a really important topic to talk about without shame, kind of bring light to that instance. Yeah. If you were to take a moment and everyone listening a moment to just imagine it's 2004, it's Thanksgiving night. And at that point, for me, in my mind, in my emotions, in the way I experienced life, it was scarier to be alive than to be dead. Because at that point in my life, I couldn't, I couldn't find the place in myself that could picture a better tomorrow. I couldn't find the place in myself that said, hey, there's something here for me that can be better. It doesn't have to be this hard. And that nonstop experience of shame, self-shaming, self-judging, self-criticizing, the fear, the anger that I felt towards myself and the world all at the same time. It was really heavy. It was really hard to bear. And when I didn't have a way to really perceive a tomorrow that was better, I finally felt the only way for me to find peace in my life was to end it. And so I put a bullet in my head after three clicks, it went off. And if you can imagine being conscious and aware when a bullet goes in your brain, feeling it burn your brain, and then watching yourself go unconscious and falling to the floor, I remember all of it. And it was that night that as I laid there on the floor, I heard a deeper part of me inside of me that I'd never heard before tell me, you are not meant to die tonight. And within that moment, I came back to, I woke back up and all this energy coursed through my body that I didn't have before. And I was able to wake up, run up the stairs and actually get to an ambulance that saved my life. And that really was the springboard moment that has informed the last two decades of my life. And a lot of my time and attention in terms of supporting clients and people I support is 
one, helping people see they don't have to get there to, to make the change. You don't have to get to that point where you actually experience your life almost ending. Because I went through quite a recovery process, as you can imagine. You don't have to get there and stay there and go through what I went through to actually still have the life you want. And so what I've discovered, it is a process of time and attention devoted to what is it to sift through and find the place in yourself that knows your own inner guidance, your own inner wisdom that allows you to trust yourself again, allows you to trust life again, and allows you to have even just a little bit of say light that says, there's something here for me. There's something for me tomorrow. There's something for me in the next hour. And from that, I've experienced how imagine like a door that was closed and you, it was all black. You couldn't see any, any light. It was all darkness. And then imagine all of a sudden a keyhole appears and there's a little bit of light. And that little bit of light is what guides you forward. Then imagine with that keyhole guiding you, then all of a sudden there's a crack in the door and there's even more light. And you keep going. It's not easy, but you keep going. And there are increasing moments that feel better. And now all of a sudden there's a, a larger crack in the door and there's more light. There's more possibility. There's more you see. And then imagine you keep going and the next thing you know, the door is open wide open for you. My life went from being that room of darkness to the keyhole, to the crack, to the door wide open over the past two decades. I mean, even though it's difficult, I love the story. How old were you at the time? 18. 18. I, when I'm thinking about, you know, where I was in my life at 18, 19, 20 years old, I went through a lot of really traumatic things at that point in my life too. Um, I don't think that I have ever been in a place where everything was totally dark for me, but there were days where probably months where I was like, seriously, that's happening to me too. Like just throw that, throw another shrimp on the barbie. Like, is that, is that how this is going to go for my whole life? Like, does it all need to be hard? Does it all need to be struggle? And since that point in my life, I've been really fascinated by the ways that people figure out how to come back to life after they think they're going to die. And like that, that intersection where it becomes a choice, you know, to, fill each day with love or fill each day with hopelessness. You know, like it's I'm not saying that, you know, the difference between being depressed and being not depressed is that it's a choice because it's not what I'm saying. But I think part of my own journey out of things that were really dark is kind of remembering that every day I do have the choice to do things that fill me with love and fill me with joy. And that I can find mm -hmm. more of those things, the more I do those things. And I think that mm -hmm. it's really important. The, the way that our society is built currently, it's getting better for people to be open about mental health struggles, but it's still really difficult. And it's especially difficult for men, I think, to be open with mental health struggles. And I'm curious if that was one of the things that you thought about at the time, like, you know, if you were going to be honest with somebody about how you were feeling, like, was it like, I can't tell anyone I'm feeling this way because it's not manly or like, what was that like? I want to answer that, but I also want to answer a few traps that we can fall into as we, and just for sake of our conversation, we'll call it finding our way to our best life or our most aligned or 
joyful, satisfactory life. We'll call it that for now. Some of the traps we can fall in is black or white thinking, binary thinking. Either I'm um, doing it right or I'm doing it wrong. And what I mean by that is either my day is full of love or it's full of fear. My day is either done right or it's done wrong. And the mistake that we make, the misunderstanding we make is to believe that that's reality. The reality is it's one moment at a time. The reality is that if I have two moments in my day where I experienced confidence, where I experienced peace, where I experienced joy, where I experienced love, and the rest of the day was dark, if we can recognize and acknowledge those moments that were good and allow ourselves to feel those and not focus on only all this that wasn't, we actually move ourselves forward in a way that we want. But if we say, oh, those two moments weren't enough, I need all of it to be that, we're actually setting ourselves up to continue to be where we're at and nothing will change. And so it's really important not to, for all of us to not get into caught into that. And I did for so long. I would, I could over these past two decades see for many years where I would have good moments, but my day, the way I would narrate my day was based on, oh, I only saw the bad moments. And so I continued to live through this not, never enough, not enough, not good enough, not good enough, more, 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 never pausing to see, look how far I've already fucking come. And that's really important to just acknowledge because that can be one of the things that hurts us most is our expectation of some form of perfection that just simply does not exist. And that is one of our, and I say that with compassion because it is a societal message where we're at and where we live that, you know what, it's weak to show vulnerability. It's weak to need support. It's weak to not have it all figured out. You got to have your game face on all the time. You got to be living up to your potential all the time. No, to be messy is to be human. To be imperfect is to be human. And that's what makes it perfect. And that's the struggle for a lot of us. I know that's been a big one for me. And the more I've been able to just let myself be where I'm at with all this fight to be someone else, to be somewhere else, actually, the more I've grown and the more love and peace and joy I felt. And so I say that. Well, then segueing into what you asked, I remember when I was really starting to really start to connect into what was it to have them understand my emotions, to allow myself to feel my emotions. It, what I have seen is men are meant to stay on uh, off, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but what I've seen a lot in our society is men are meant to stay on their white horse and you know never look weak by having emotion. And women are supposed to make things look look effortless, like just keep it all together, take care of the kids, take care of the house, and still keep it all together. And so there's this expectation around looking a certain way and posturing ourselves that impacts both of us. So it is not just, I mean, it, we're, we're both impacted. Um, but speaking just as a man, I remember when I was first trying to explore what it was to know my emotions and then to allow them and not judge them and uh, find that side of me that. I hear a lot of women say, for example, is I want my man to feel more. I want him to express himself more. And I was engaged and it was 2016. And she said, I want you to express yourself more. And I remember at that time, I was really starting to understand what, what to, how it was to feel my own sadness, how to feel my own uh, hurt, things that I'd been holding for a long time. And I remember I started crying and the immediate response was she was disgusted. And I remember that in that moment of vulnerability, 
it shut her down because of her own stuff. But at the time I made the unconscious decision that my, again, my emotions were still bad and still were not safe. And so I went right back on my white horse of just being like, I got it. We're all good. Everything is all together. And that is, I bring that up because that was a part of her conditioning of what a man is supposed to be based on some really old definitions versus and mine, what a man is supposed to be based on some old definitions. And instead of it creating an environment where we could come closer and develop a closer relationship, it actually does this and actually pushes us apart. And not too surprising a few months later that our engagement ended. It is really wild. I mean, I grew up in a really interesting situation where my both my parents were married to other people when I was born. So I was kind of like this oops baby in the middle of these two marriages that were falling apart and in a situation Mm -hmm. where easily I could have been the baby that nobody wanted and I could have had that kind of life. You know, it could have been real Jerry Springer, Mm -hmm. but um, it wasn't. And all of the adults involved ended up wanting to have me in their lives in some way. But growing up that way were all of my siblings, you know, you know, had a mom and a dad who were, together at some point um, legally. And then I'm this kind of like floater in the middle. So it made it so every time I was at one of my parents' houses, I lived at three different houses every week, um, made it very interesting. It's like Monday to Friday, I was at one house, Friday night and Saturday, I was at another house, Saturday night and Sunday, I was at another house. And it was amazing for me to have all these people who wanted me around But I also was very conscious of the fact that I was like the extra kid. And so I got conditioned really early to not rock the boat and to not, you know, make a lot of waves or, you know, to use every cliche in the book, apparently, just to not make problems. You know, I just kind of fit in where I could fit Mm -hmm. in. And I would take whatever I could, you know, whatever scraps I could get of affection because all of my siblings had parents who were more of their parent all the time than I did. And Mm -hmm. I think it made me grow up as a really independent kid because I didn't feel like I could rely on any of these people all the time because I was, you know, a part-time family member for all these people. And it made me hide a lot of my emotions and make it seem like I never needed help or anything like that. I mean, I remember the day that I strategically was like, I'm not going to cry in front of other people anymore. And like, it's like, that's not a thing I'm going to do. And it's taken me like several decades worth of work to even try to break out of that kind of childhood trauma aspect. And it's really strange for me to meet other women, especially who are just super free with their emotions. They're like, Oh, I cry all the time. And I'm like, what do you, Ow. I can't, um, I can't get back to that part of myself. Do you know the song Dr. My Eyes by Jackson Brown? Mm-hmm. It has this line in it that it's, it's all about um, teaching yourself to deflect the world, really. And saying, you know, once you get to that point where you're the superhero and nothing bothers you, you're like, is this the prize for having learned how not to cry that I don't feel anything in a lot of situations? I I listen to that song a lot to kind of remind myself that like, it is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to not be okay. And I think I've spent a lot of my last 20 years figuring out how to really understand what it is 
what it is to not be okay and be okay with that. An interesting perspective, because I think in a lot of ways, most of the women that I know, you know, they do have that, you know, like they're expected to be the moms and take care of everything and never complain and, and that they can handle everything and moms are superheroes and they can work and they can do this and they can do that and they can do this. And the expectations on women and mothers in general is so high. And since I became a mother, I have obviously, you know, I've wanted to, I don't know, break through a lot of that stuff with myself, break through a lot of my childhood traumas so that I don't pass that stuff on to my kids. Right. Cause I don't want them to grow up and, you know, be the kind of adult who says I shouldn't cry because that's shameful or I shouldn't cry because that's showing that I'm weak. And um, the more I have these kind of gut reactions to the way that my kids act, the more I'm realizing ways that I was conditioned as a kid by my parents and that they were conditioned by their parents and hard. (laughs) It's really hard to be in control of your own emotions more often because you don't want to like fly off the handle on your kids, but to also show them that it's okay to not be in control of your emotions sometimes. <laughs> like I kind of, I have a lot of that push pull in my life. It's a deep conversation. No. Yeah. What I have found both within myself and like my clients that I work with is first we, we come to a place where everything we have suppressed our emotions, our fears, our guilt, our anxiety, our shame, we get to a point where we reach a tipping point. And when we hit that tipping point, it starts to really show up in our lives and not in the ways we would like it to. And that can look like emotional outbursts or crying for no reason, seemingly no reason. We are angry. We Have you ever had the moment where you snap at someone like, where did that come from? Why, why did I, who was that? Yeah. Um, so we reach this point where it's like a, pot of water or tea pot boiling over where we're like we can't shove it down any longer we've numbed it with alcohol tv caffeine phones work everything long enough and now it's like no my your body is literally saying no no fucking more and it's time for this shit to be looked at i don't care how hard it is you need to look at it it was like my client of mine who had he was an executive and he had he not given himself the chance to really grieve the loss of his father and he kept having things come up at work. And I said, your heart doesn't give a shit whether it fits in your schedule or not. You've been suppressing something you need to look at long enough. And now it's going to do it whether your your mind is on board or not. And so we come from this to this place of where we can't numb and feel disconnected anymore. And if we're going to live and actually keep our health, we've got to start looking at it. And then we walk that journey for some time. And what I found and again experienced is as we walk that journey of coming to really know what it is we haven't let go of, what we haven't loved in ourselves, what we have denied, what we have suppressed, what we have avoided, as we move through that, over time, we get to a place where our relationship with our emotions are not volatile anymore because we're actually able to move with them like a surfer on a wave in the moment rather than like, oh, there's emotion, like whack-a-mole, knock it back down. (laughs) Oh, another one, knock it back down. So instead of suppressing it all our life becomes lighter our life becomes more easeful and feels like it's flowing and moving well because we're not uh, no longer denying the reality of how we feel and that a lot of what i find is when people start to move over here from where we were just talking about 
that's when they start to say, I feel like I'm, I'm really me for the first time in decades. I haven't felt like this much like really me in years. Mm-hmm. I read this book um, when I was in college called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Mm. And I think I've probably read this book like 25 times in my life. Like every couple of years, I make sure to read it. And it always changes the way that I think, even though I know exactly, like I've almost memorized this book at this point, but it just, it hits in a different way every time I read it. One of the things from this book that always sticks with me is that there are no ordinary moments. Mm. And, you know, so much of our days for most people is same thing, different day, same thing, different day, same thing, different day. And I really changed the way that I interact with the world when I started realizing that like any moment could be that moment that changes somebody's life forever, Hmm. you know, and starting to be more intentional about trying to craft those moments and noticing when those moments might be happening. And Hmm. more of those moments happen when you are open to letting your emotions come and go, no matter what happens. And There's another part in the book where there's a character who has this amazing business that he started and he's been running it for a long time and everyone loves it and it catches on fire and it burns to the ground. And while you're reading this book, I mean, I did anyway, you know, I got into this headspace of what it would be like to, you know, build something that meant so much to you that was your life stream and then to literally watch it burn up in ashes. And instead of you know, being horribly depressed for a really long time, the character yells at the sky for like two seconds. And then he's like, okay, I'm good to go. And just like shakes it right off. And it's like, I felt that emotion. I let it come through me. I let it go. And now it's a new moment. Like right now is a chance to do something else and to feel something else and to bring something else in and let something else go. And I first read this book when I was 19 And when I was 20 years old, my mom died on Friday the 13th. And Mm. then four months after that, on her birthday, my dorm burnt to the ground with all of my stuff in it. Toast. While I was in it, all of the people in my life fully expected that I was going to like lose my mind in this situation. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I like now after reading that book so many times, that book saved me in a lot of ways because I had always been afraid, you know, the way I grew up with, you know, what would happen if my home base burnt up and I had no stuff or what would happen if all of my poetry was suddenly gone or all my journals were suddenly gone in a fire. And then it happened. I remember the first day I was pretty numb. The second day I was a little bit less numb. And the third day I looked at my college roommate And I said, dude, all all our shit burnt up. (laughs) And I just started laughing, like roll on the ground completely and totally just let it all go because we were both alive and none of that stuff mattered. Like I had just been so tied down by all this meaning that I gave to things that didn't really matter. And Mm. once all of those physical things, material things that I thought were defining who I was as a person. Like once they were gone, I was able to see that none of that matters at all. 
for survival. You know, it's like in order to survive in this world, you need five things, right? You need food, you need shelter, you need clothes, right? Basic, basic necessities. But other than that, you need someone that loves you, anyone, and something that drives you. And that's it. It doesn't matter if you have a huge house on a gorgeous hill or if you have the coolest car or you're super successful and have millions of dollars or whatever, you know, like a lot of those things can make life easier, but you don't need them to be fulfilled as a person. You don't need them to be enough. And man, what a wake up call to be 20 years old. You know, there's similar age range to you to like all of a sudden, and I'd always been so worried about not being able to take care of myself and being an adult and not knowing how to be a real adult and sucking at adulting and whatever. And that I would never be quote unquote successful by having all of this stuff that they, you know, the proverbial they say you need to have in order to be successful. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, I don't need any of that because I have my life keeping me warm. And that's really all you need. Everything else is just, it's just cake. It's extra. And so after that, it was just whenever something crazy would happen that seemed terrible at the time, I'd be like, wow, that really sucks. Okay. What's next? (laughs) You know, like I would really try to be like the character in that book and like express what it was making me feel right then in that moment, but then really try not to hold that and to just let it go. Mm -hmm and be open to what the next moment was going to bring. You know, I was like, well, was that really difficult? Did that suck? Yep, sure did. But what now? What can I do now? Because that happened. What did I learn from that? And what can I take from that into tomorrow? How can I use what has happened to me to teach somebody else? How can I have an intentional conversation with somebody about this where they, without having to lose all their stuff in a fire, can realize that there's, they don't really need that stuff to be happy. And I don't know. I got to be real old real quick when all my friends are still like, you know, 20 years old partying at college. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've like learned 12 lifetimes worth of grief and trauma and healing in about 20 minutes as far as my life goes. You know, as challenging as those times were for you, it really seems like it offered you a chance to define and become clear on where you were ascribing meaning in your life and what you're giving your power to. Exactly. It really did. And it it led me to believing that it was possible to use my creative outlets as my career and I had already been working on a college major to do that um, and to make a career as an artist. And until that happened to me in my junior year, second half of my junior year, I didn't really believe that it was possible. I was like, yeah, that's my someday dream. Someday, someday, if I work hard enough or I do the right things or I do this or I do that someday, that'll be me. Mm -hmm. And, after that happened, I was like, you know, I don't want to wait until I have the perfect situation to follow what I love. I don't want to wait until I'm in my 40s to really start my art career. 
because I have to make money and pay off my student loans and buy a house and buy a car. And I, like, I was like, I don't want to do that. My mom was 54 years old when she died, 54. And I kept thinking, you know, at the time I was 20 and I was like, well, it seemed really fast to like be born and then be 20. Like it goes fast. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine like how fast the next 34 years of my life are going to go. But I know I don't want to wait until I'm 54 to start thinking about how I'm going to do the things I love once I'm retired. It's like, right. no, nah, I'm going to, I need to do them right now because I could have died in a fire yesterday, but I did it. You know, I walked out of a building and literally saw flames to the sky a hundred feet away from me and watched pieces mm-hmm. of the roof fly off and land in the road next to me. Like that could have been me, but it wasn't. So it, so many people don't really truly recognize how short life is and how fast it goes. And they always think they have this someday that's years and years and years in the future. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they're old and they didn't get to do any of the things that they had on their bucket list. And they all try to cram, you know, a lifetime's worth of, intentional, amazing experiences into a couple years of little life. And I just knew that I didn't want to do that. And I ended up starting my company when I was 20 years old. And here I was this like young woman artist that everybody thought was super naive. And I got butted up against a lot of naysayers and a lot of people who thought I was crazy and said, you're going to be a starving artist forever. It's never going to happen. And I said, you know what? I don't care. I don't care because I know that I'm going to be full on my life. I'm not ever going to feel empty because I'm doing the thing that fills me with joy every day. I get to do that every single day. There's value in being naive more than there is being the person that thinks they know it all. Exactly. I would much rather be naive than think I know it all because the moment I think I know it all is the moment that I miss out on life. Mm-hmm. Cause you're focusing on like what might happen later instead of what is actually happening right now. And Which really stems, stems from a distrust of oneself. Yeah. Like literally, if you think about people putting things off for years, it's often a undervaluing of their own life. It's also a distrust of themselves to navigate the change they secretly want to make. And it's hard to admit to ourselves that we don't trust ourselves. Yep. And there's so much. It's a hard hard pill to swallow. There is. And there's especially people who want to follow a creative path. You know, there's this Mm -hmm. stereotype that if you do something creative and you love to share that with people, that you're conceited. Or that you're, if you do something that you do really well and you're really proud of it and you tell people about it all the time, then you're conceited. You're full of yourself. And there's this stereotype that, you know, you're not a true artist if you're not tortured in some way. Or if you're really confident in how awesome your work is or whatever, that you're not a real artist. Um, and I think that there's just, there's so many stereotypes out there of, about creatives in general, but I think it's because creatives were the really the first people who had careers that filled them with joy, I think, um, mm. in my world anyway. I just, I think that there's, 
this expectation that if you have some kind of work that is really fulfilling for you that way, that it, you're doing it and it's so obvious that you're doing it, not because of the money, but because you really and truly love what you do, that people expect that you shouldn't be paid highly to do that. Because how dare you get to enjoy your work every day? You should be miserable at work every day like everybody else is. And Yeah, that's their judgment and their own insecurity about not taking steps in their own life to live it. Mm-hmm. For sure. There's always- so people, people are allowed to blame and shame and judge because they're afraid to live their own lives. And we can just keep living our life. We don't have to be, we don't have to subscribe to this shame and guilt culture where how God forbid I actually take my life by the reins and attempt to do something with it before I die. I don't care if you shame and judge me, have fun with that. Keep enjoying that. I'm not going to let that stop me. I did for a long time, but the more I realized the what, the more I kept going, the more I realized that the greatest imitation I can offer anyone else into their life is just live my own damn life and not let their judgment and fear get in the way of me. And I get it. I I've made all kinds of leaps and jumps that were fucking terrifying. But the biggest thing that was the hardest to let go was to let go of caring about someone judging me or criticizing me. So what? Okay. You don't like me. I love the saying that, um, there'll be people that love us no matter what we do. There's going to be people that hate us no matter what we do. And the vast majority of the world doesn't know who the fuck we are. So go live. Exactly. That reminds me of when I was in middle school, I think seventh, eighth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And I got bullied a lot at school. I was like super nerdy and <laughs> did not have the coolest clothes or whatever. Um, and I was just weird. Like I'm a weirdo. I get that now. And it's totally like works in my favor as an adult. But when you're in middle school, like it's not the greatest. Um, it doesn't feel the greatest to be the odd one out. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, telling my mom when I came home from school one day and I was like, all these people at school are saying this about me or they're saying this, or they're saying that she goes, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but they're also entitled to be wrong. You know, that (laughs) everyone gets the, Right. Everyone gets their own opinion. Everyone gets their own opinion, but not everyone gets to choose what are facts. I like that one too. Yeah, I mean, like she just said to me, she's like, you know, if you know in your heart that whatever they're saying isn't true, it doesn't matter what they say or how loud they say it or where they say it, because mm-hmm. you know it's not true. And just live your life. Just you do you. And you know, it's her own little way of saying, you know, that it's get it gets better campaign before it. Was- but I think about that a lot when I think about my own kids, you know, being influenced mm-hmm. by other kids at school and stuff like that. And um, I think a lot of my responsibility as a parent is to just make sure that I carry that kind of stuff forward to my kids and make yeah. sure that they know that they should continue to be who they are and not be swayed by other people. Because my kids are probably also going to be a bunch of weirdos, you know, like... <laughs> And I'm glad that they're going to be a bunch of weirdos. They're going to be some really memorable weirdos out there in the world making magical things happen. Um, Before we run out of time, we have about 15 minutes left or so. Is there anything that you want to add or you want to talk about before we do five question time? I'm curious what you since might be useful to add or talk through a little bit before we move on to that. I think I definitely want to make sure that we 
add something into this conversation about a little bit more about the someday Mm. because there, I know that there are millions of people out there who are waiting for that someday or who are trying to make their bodies ultra thin today so that someday they'll be this person in the future that they might never actually be um, instead of embracing the moment that you are right now. And I love the idea of thinking that, you know, your someday is right now. Mm-hmm. And now I can't remember what we wanted to call that. Well, how that phrase is? I know you have it written down. There's a few pieces around this. First off, anytime we, we lead with excitement about our future, we have to be mindful. Are we le- trying to leverage our f- future as the place we get to? So then we can feel happy about our lives. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll get to have fun when I retire. I'll be happy when my body looks like this. I'll get love when I feel this way. I'll, I'll be happier when I have that next client. I'll have enough money when I've sold the business, whatever it is. How are we, how are we projecting our own sense of well-being and being okay into this future experience as if we will arrive? And I, f- I want to tell a story, and then I also want to ask people to first consider how many times have you told yourself that when this one thing arrives, that it's like balloons will fall down from the sky and everything will be okay, but the reality is you were happy for 10 minutes before you were on to the next thing. Let's be honest. Let's start there. And then I want to share my own example where I've fallen for this numerous times. Mm-hmm. I was in court during my corporate days. I remember coming in. It was 2012, and I was really excited supporting Google with a launch of their product. And I was like, I'm going to get to the director position because when I get to that director position, the money along with the reputation and everything, ah, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be good. That's essentially what I was ascribing as meaning to this title and this sum of money. Fast forward four years, I'm promoted seven times. I make it to the position. I get to the position And for all of maybe two weeks, I was excited about it before it really dawned on me what I had been doing. I had been title chasing, money chasing, and reputation chasing, thinking that it was literally going to offer me some level of significant depth of joy, depth of safety and feeling okay and security and feeling happy. And actually what it offered me was a sense of being pissed off because I realized I've been trying to use the world to make me feel okay. And it was really hard to swallow that pill of what I had been doing for years because the reality was, and what I would not was not willing to face for a long time was nothing out here will ever make me feel okay for an extended period of long-term in my life. I have to create it within myself. And it is a really hard thing to swallow when we are bombarded by messages constantly and say, hey, this product's going to make you look beautiful. By the way, have you noticed those wrinkles you have? You better take care of that. I know, right? Hey, that car, that BMW, you see how it's driving down the road? Looks real sleek. Your life's pretty miserable with the kids until you get in that car and make yourself feel okay in your middle-aged crisis. Like mm-hmm. There is just constant messages that are meant to manipulate our emotional experience because we have not learned how to find most of us have not learned how to find a sense of balance, enjoyment, peace in ourselves where we're not manipulated by those things. 
And I say that to say it is not bad to want the BMW. It is not bad to want the title, the money, the things like that. But if we are giving it so much power to say, I can only be happy when I have that car, I can only be happy when I have that money, that title, that look, we are going to be on a never ending chase of ghosts. We are chasing ghosts. And so it's really important to know that someday is today, meaning that you want the car, great. You want to have clean skin, a good looking skin, great. You want a lean body, great. But along the way, realize and take a moment to really be honest with yourself. Will you truly be happy when it's there? And what happens if you take it, if someone takes it away? Does it mean you go right back into the chase again? Because that is not real happiness. That is fragility. And the real journey of happiness and fulfillment is being able to find it in ourselves while we go about, hey, this goal and that goal and building a family and all those things. And so that has been one of the hardest things for me to accept and embrace. And it's been one of those, that's a big, going back to the beginning of our call, it has been that journey of going from the keyhole of light to the crack in the door, to a little bit wider crack, to a little bit more, a little bit more going, oh, I can enjoy these things and I can have them in my life. But when I not when I don't give them so much power and I'm able to cultivate this feeling in myself, I can breathe. I don't feel like my shoulders are weighted down because I'm constantly chasing the future to tell me I am okay, I'm worthy of my own love, worthy of my own acceptance, and worthy of people's validation around me. And that is, I would say it's uh, it's like the matrix. Do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? Mm-hmm. I can never decide which pill I would want to take every time I watch that movie. I was like, oh, I can't take either one. <laughs> but I, I say that not to be of judgment, but it is an invitation for anyone listening to really turn to themselves and really find out where they're giving their power to. And like you said so eloquently and wisely, where are you assigning meaning? What actually makes you feel good about your life? What actually means something to you and what is it that actually could make something lasting feel good in your life when you get to the end of your life is it the is it the money you had that's going to have you go ah my last breath i had millions of dollars i can die happy if that's it go for it is it the cars you had is it your reputation go for it but really be honest with yourself what is going to mean most to me when i'm dying Because when you know that, even if you just know about it for this next phase of your life, it can really help you be clear on, like you said so eloquently, when you were 20 years old, that level of honesty really starts to help you orient yourself of going, I'm looking at my life from this new context, and this doesn't make sense anymore. This doesn't make sense anymore. Neither does that. And when you have that view and that lens, you can start making brand new decisions. And it's not about being easy. This idea that it's going to be easy is what keeps us stuck. But something tells me if I were to ask you, was it worth it? You'd say, hell yes. And if you were to imagine your life today, had you not made those decisions, how would you feel about that life? You'd probably tell me some, actually, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I, there is no way in hell that I would be where I am right now had those things not happened to me. Do I wish that my mom was still alive and got to meet my kids? Totally. I do. Mm -hmm. But I 
was a teenager who ended up playing the role as a parent for taking care of my mom a lot. And mm-hmm. I ended up, you know, being blamed by a lot of our, you know, my older family members when she ended up going into the hospital with a stroke. And when I was 15, they were like, how did you let it get this bad? I'm like, this is not, you know, like this is not a, my role to be her parent. She's my parent. She should be taking care of me. And here I am taking care of her. And I remember thinking when I was about 15 years old that my mom was probably never going to meet my kids if I ever had any. Mm -hmm. I spent the bulk of my teenage years, even before I went to college, worrying about my mom all day, every day, and whether or not she was going to be okay or be able to take care of herself or pay the bills or keep her house or whatever, you know, because we lived very much check to check and, you know, if she got sick and she didn't have health insurance and she didn't go to work for five days, we were going to lose our house. And that's the reality that I was growing up in as a 15 year old kid. And I ended up going away to college and living in another state in a way that was terrifying for me to do, but something I had to do to save myself from being her parent. And so when she did die while I was away at school, It was not something that was super expected at the time, but I remember like in some ways feeling relieved that I didn't have to worry about her anymore, but then also feeling really hella guilty that I felt that way. Um, Mm -hmm. But the night that she died, I'm going to end up putting this in this, this story has to go in here because the night that she died, I remember sitting on the porch of my dorm, the same dorm that burned to the ground before it burned, obviously. And it was in September and it's, you know, prime drought season throughout most of the the country. And there was this horrible drought going on in North Carolina where I went to school and there's like 700 or plus acres on fire within the area where I was going to school. And I'm sitting on the porch and all of a sudden, like all of my hair stood up and I got like this crazy goosebumps in it. The wind picked up and I was like, whoa, like I was just very overwhelmed by all this energy that was all around me. And I couldn't hear anything in my head except there's something tremendous out there. Like that's the only, like I just kept hearing that phrase in my head, tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. And it was like, I kept trying to like take these huge deep breaths and like hold on to it and like grab as much of this energy as I could. And I ended up, I got up from the swing I was sitting on and I like ran around the porch. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And I ran around to all the other people who were outside drinking beer and hanging out or whatever. And I was like, y'all, there is some crazy energy out there. You might think I'm a nutcase, whatever, but take it in, like take as many deep breaths as you can and hold on to it. Cause I don't think it's going to, I don't think this energy that I'm feeling right now is going to be around for a long time. And you know, you should harness it while it's here. And within about 10 minutes, the sky opened up and it started pouring. At about four o'clock in the morning, after I had gone to bed, I got woken up by the phone from my brother calling to say that my mom had died sometime between 1130 and midnight. Mm. And as soon as he said it, I was like, I know. Like he called me on the phone and I answered the phone and he didn't even say anything. And I said, I know, I know. I felt her. She came to me, you know, like she was here. She went, her energy went everywhere, took over the world. 
and it rained for two weeks and put out every fire in the country. Having an experience like that and not necessarily knowing that, you know, God is some dude in robes in the sky, you know, at the time I was like, who knows whatever's out there. I wasn't really a super spiritual person. I definitely wasn't religious at all. And having that feeling her physically be there when I didn't know what to call her, but knowing that the energy that made her live was all of a sudden like so much more powerful around me because it was no longer contained in her body. Mm -hmm. It changed my relationship with my own life, but it changed my relationship with death too, because where Mm -hmm. so many people see death as this finality that it's, that it's over. Um, I mean, I, for myself, like I know that the energy that makes me live right now, when I die, it's going to go out into the world, into the universe and recombine and make other things live. Is it going to make another person that looks like me who does my same thing? Probably not. But is part of the energy that makes me live going to recombine and be turned into some lettuce that my kids might eat someday? Probably. You never know. You know, like, and I think that the energy that is the difference between a living body and a dead body. The energy that went through your body when you had that experience at 18, when you were like, whoa, what is that energy that came to you? It might be your energy, but it might also be some of your ancestors' energy that came into your body and made that happen so that you survived. And you went on to live this life where you have affected so many people. And I was like, I wouldn't be who I am today had that not happened to me. And while I wish that her physical form where I knew her was able to know my kids, I know in my heart that they, they know her and she knows them. That part of the energy that made her live makes them live. And I lost my brother in 2008 to, from cancer. And my second son was born on the day after my brother's death anniversary. And in a time where it seemed like every November, I was like, oh, November's going to suck because that's when my brother died. The day after that, I now have this reason to be totally joyful. And my that son, I didn't know he was a boy. I didn't know what he was going to look like. He looks just like my brother. You know, so you never know what's going to happen today because of something that happened yesterday, either good or shitty. You know, like you never know. Had my dorm not burnt to the ground, I would not have been able to finish school the way I did because they cut my financial aid. But I got this insurance check and I took the check and I walked it over to financial aid and I paid them for my senior year of school. Good luck, bad luck. It's all how you look at it. You know, that's, that's just how life is. And you can choose to have one shitty thing happen in a day and make the whole day shitty, or you could have one happy thing and make the whole day happy, or you can choose to react to every moment that shows up in the moment that it shows up, express whatever that makes you feel in that moment, and then let it go and be open to whatever the next moment brings. Because some days right now, it's right now. Mm. It's right now. 
I'm, I'm grateful that you're walking this earth, Jonah. I'm grateful that you're walking this earth and that you had that energy made you run up the stairs. That's amazing. I just keep thinking like, I can't think about when people tell me stories, like I, I make a, like a movie scene in my head of what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And I just keep playing that part over and over and over in my head of like what it would be like to kind of be a fly on the wall and see that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of movie scene that like everyone who's watching it is like, oh, my God, I got goosebumps like the the miracle is happening right now. And I'm watching it, you know, like it's so cool Um, to be able to experience something like that is. It's amazing, but it's also amazing that you in that situation also got to experience that when a lot of people have those, you know, like a near death experience where they have they're totally unconscious and they say like, Oh, I had this, you know, experience with God, or I had this experience with spirituality, or I had this profound experience, but they were unconscious when it happened, but that you had this experience and that you like were awake and like imagine all, you know, like actually were conscious for all of that happening at the same time, like that, it must be incredible. Do you have, I mean, I know you said it took you, you know, a, a while to recover from that. Do you have, any lasting effects aside from your spiritual awakening from that, like physical things? It's been a long process of working with my nervous system to release the trauma that my body endured from that. But as far as like lasting limitations or anything like that, not that I'm aware of. I, like, I, I can't help but be one of those people that says that certain things were meant to be. Who knows what I don't believe I don't I don't believe in coincidence. So Yeah, I mean I'd also I don't want to be one of those people that says like everything happens for the reason because like the Holocaust is pretty fucked up and I don't think that that really happened for a reason. You know, like there's some there's some things out there that happen that are awful and they're just awful and there's no like good that's really gonna come out of something like that. But you know, and I definitely don't think like you know when somebody dies in your life that someone's like oh it all happens for a reason like that's definitely not the correct response to have to say to someone who's grieving or who's dealing with something difficult but i do believe with every fiber of what makes me live that there wouldn't be today without yesterday Mm -hmm. and the things that happen to you today inform you for later and i (laughs) It reminds me of this conversation I had with my younger brother where he was getting out of a marriage and was just worried. And he's just like, you know, how is someone going to love me in the future when I have all this baggage? Mm. And I said, baggage is what you bring with you on a trip. So you're prepared for whatever happens. And everybody's got baggage. You know, and you can choose to have it be something you have to drag behind you or you can use it as something that helps you be prepared for wherever you go in your life. You know, you go on a trip, you bring your baggage. What's in there? The stuff you might need. And I choose to use my life that way and view my life that way that, you know, I have this baggage. I do have these things that at times weigh me down. There's times where I feel like I'm broken as a person, but I also feel like there's times where I can have conversations like this, where pieces of this conversation go into those broken pieces and shine on the inside. 
and you wouldn't be able to see them where they're not a crack in the middle, metaphorically. Okay, so we're going to run on time. I want to do our, our five-question time. It's five-question time, five-question time. Okay, it's kind of like a, a lightning round kind of thing, but um, no need to, like, speed through any questions um, if you don't want to. The first question is, which we probably already answered, but you can pick another one. Tell me about an experience or a single moment in your life that changed who you are. I was sitting in the wheelchair on the rehabilitation center after I came out of my coma after shooting myself in 2004. And they told me I would probably never walk again. As I'm sitting there in the wheelchair, it dawned on me that there was never anyone to blame for where I was in my life. And though I like to spend a lot of time being the victim and blame others for my life, I'm not saying people's behaviors were great. It's not what I'm saying. But I still, kind of like you said, have a choice about my reactions to life. I came to the harsh realization that no one put me in that hospital and that gun to my head other than me. And in that moment, I started to take total responsibility for all of my choices, all of my actions, and stopped blaming everyone. And in that moment, I cried these crocodile tears. And when I came to that realization and admitted and accepted it, that same energy that happened on the night I shot myself came back again. And it was like a lightning bolt flew through my body. And it was like an on switch came on. And then that same voice came and said, you are not meant to live this way. And the next thing I knew, I had this vision of a possibility of a life beyond the wheelchair, a vision of a possibility of a life beyond my circumstances of today. And I remember having all this energy that says, I will not live in this wheelchair. And that defining moment led me to learn, to pouring myself into walking again, pouring myself into getting an education, a a good career, and basically building a life for myself. And that was a, a moment that completely altered who I was up to that point. That's amazing. Did you, this is not one of the questions, but did you like say something like that to yourself every day, like a mantra, like I'm getting out of this chair, I'm going to get out of this chair. Or was it, that's just who you were then after that day? The context of my life changed from everyone's to blame. My life is hard and it's not a lot. I literally imagine you're over here. You're looking at the ocean but the ocean's keeping you right here. And the life you really want isn't by looking at the ocean. You actually need to look at the mountains. But I didn't know how to find the mountains, though I craved the mountains. That day shifted me to only seeing the mountains. And then all of a sudden, the ocean disappeared. And now I'm looking at the mountains. And that became the context and the, the, micros- the telescope that I looked through every day. That's amazing. Oh, I love this show. It's like therapy and, and you don't and you don't have and you don't have to have that happen for it to change you just have to be willing to consider what's a different way to narrate my life because we're just choosing to live a story over and over and over again because we haven't really taken a step back long enough to consider the story that we're living each day and then taking another step back to consider what's the one i want to live oh, i love it okay number two when you feel defeated or overcome what do you tell yourself to keep going if you even feel that way. At, at, at this point, I experience moments of defeat and overcome as just a passing experience. So if I will let myself feel it, not push it away, not try to numb it with some kind of activity and not go out and try to create something because I feel that feeling. If I will literally just let myself be there with it, 
and watch it and accept it and not fight it and not judge it, it goes away eventually. Feelings are not permanent. I know. It's just so when we shut it, shut it, it shut, when we shut it down, it keeps coming back. It's like, I mean, it's like clouds, you know, that's what they tell you when you're doing meditation, you know, it's just like thoughts are going to come up in your mind and it's not bad to have thoughts, but you want you know, recognize that they're there and they'll let them go. Move on to the, the, next the problem is, is the problem is most of uh, many of us get freaked out by our emotions and get freaked out by our feelings because we d- haven't been taught what to do with them. And so when they come up, we react to them. We, we go for a run or we go grab the coffee or the beer or the cigarette. Or we go have sex or we go build the next project. We literally don't know how to be with ourselves in a way that lets it pass. So then we can come back to the clouds being out of the way so we can see the sun again. If we can learn how to do that, our lives will change in dramatic ways. 100%. Okay, number three. Tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. First was realizing there is no such thing as failure or mistake and realizing that every single chance, every single moment in our life is there to teach us something and that the illusion of perfection is actually my fear to actually live my life. I love that. (laughs) I want that on a sticker on my wall. Um. That's awesome. Will you say that again? So the, the striving for perfection is really my own unconscious fear to live my damn life. Perfection does not exist. Failure does not exist. Mistakes do not. Our life is an experiment. And when we realize that's the truth, we're willing to try things out and learn from them. I love it. Okay. Number four, what one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track? Humility, the ongoing allowance of myself to be humbled that I don't know near as fucking much as I think I do. And so the more I let go of what I think I am and what I think I know, the more I start to realize who I really am and what's really possible in this life. Humility is one of the biggest openers of the life we want. And I have been taken to my knees quite literally emotionally spiritually and physically many times over because I can't, couldn't let go of this identity that just swore I knew how life worked and how it needed to be and who I was or was not. Humility is a saving grace. True. I need to be reminded of that more often. Um, okay. Number five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and what advice would you give to other people? The best piece of advice I ever received was there really is nowhere to get to. All this chasing, all this seeking, all this trying to find, there really is nowhere to go. I have traveled the world. I have built a corporate career. I've worked with the clients I love around the world. No matter what, though, I realize I can do all these things, and that's great, and I can enjoy them, but there really is no destination. And when I can realize that, I'm able to live my life today and stop fucking rushing and getting lost in overwhelm and pushing and forcing and fighting. I can fucking breathe. What was the other question? Well, that's the best piece of advice you've gotten, but what advice would you give other people? Discover that truth for yourself. Don't listen to me. I'm just someone on here talking based on some life experiences I've had with myself and clients. The reality for each of our lives is we have to find the place in ourselves that feels and knows something is possible and true. And so take what I said, listen to what could be useful for your life, throw everything else away. But it is our own observation and our own life that helps us find our way. Agreed. 
I love this show. <laughs> I do too. I, I just, man, when people are like, what good came out of COVID? This show, <laughs> this show came out of COVID. <laughs> uh, this came about from me being an extrovert, being stuck at home with my husband, who's a total introvert, who was like, please stop talking to me. I need you to stop talking. And I was like, well, I need you to talk more or I have to talk to somebody else. <laughs> so I ended up starting this show so I could have more conversations and learn more about other people and to mm. get more of the world outside my house. Cause I was going very stir crazy. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here on my show. I love that we had this conversation and I, I'm fully confident that listening to this conversation is going to be that moment for at least one person that says, Good. wow, after I listen to this show, I'm think about things differently. I feel differently about things. I have a different perspective on the world and that's all I can hope for. And that mm. it's, it becomes that show, that moment, that experience, that question number one for somebody when they listen to it. You know, and something I'll add, if it's interesting for anyone listening, is if they go to my website, matthoganworldwide.com forward slash clarity, I have, I created a guidebook to help people actually start to tune in and refine their own inner guidance so they can find clarity as well as direction to move their lives forward. Because like I said, the past two decades has been a constant testing and experimenting with me, sifting through all the noise inside of myself being able to find that crystal clear answer that says, this is my real voice. This is the right step. This is how I move forward. So if someone wants like something as a guide to support them with that with right, right now, go to the website, download it, add some time to your calendar a few times over the next few weeks and go through it. Awesome. I definitely am going to do it just because I'm always down for some... <laughs> some guidance um, to help get outside of my own head and back into the world where I belong. Um, and I'll make sure I put all the links to that in the show notes. Are there other places aside from your website, you want people to find you on the internet? You got social medias and whatnot. I'm not using them too much right now. I have them, but the best way would be to go to my website and they can download the guide and my emails there if they want to reach out to me directly. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing part of your day and uh, sharing your experiences and your wisdom with the world. Jonna, thank you so much for creating a space for conversations like this, because, you know, we're all in this together. We, we live right now in a time where we think that we've got to be separated by so many different titles and categories and beliefs and all these things. And yet the reality is we've, we've got to do this life together. We can't do this in a, a, a vacuum. And so thank you for your time, your energy, your heart, and your presence to create a space for people to find within themselves something that sparks their lives so they can go out and live in a way that also sparks someone else. Because again, we do it together. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. I am your host, John Willoughby Lore here on the reach the stars podcast. And I will be back in the next episode talking to some other amazing individual I have found out in the world who's doing cool things. (laughs) Awesome. A single interaction the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments. Stories of pursuing dreams, overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too.
you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Byrocratic. You can find him on Bandcamp.com. Thank you to all of our current patrons, guests, and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality. We are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you. If you love this podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes, and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.